are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This episode is a product of our collaboration with Transformers Foundation. Transformers Foundation is a unified voice representing the denim industry and its ideas for positive change. It was founded to provide a thus far missing platform to the jeans and denim supply chain and a central point of contact for consumers, brands, NGOs, and media who want to learn more about ethics and sustainable innovation in the denim industry. To find out more about Transformers, check out the links we've put in the show notes. This is part two of our conversation with Kenan Michael, president and CEO of Bose Farming Company. He's also a founder and board member of Transformers Foundation. We were pretty excited to talk to Kenan. It's the first time we've had the chance to have a cotton farmer on the show. In part one of this conversation, Kenan shares the origins of Bose Farming Company as well as what does now. Bose Farming Company is located about two hours outside of San Francisco and has been his family for six generations. In part one, we also got into a lot of details. For instance, what is extra-long staple cotton, also known as Pima cotton? Why is it sold through merchants rather than on a commodities exchange? What exactly drives his costs? How does California's regulatory environment impact his costs? What exactly drives the prices he's able to get for his cotton? And why has he decided to do the ginning himself? In this episode, we take a deep dive into traceability. Cannon shares why he thinks existing cotton accreditation programs fall short, how traceability could and should be done when it comes to cotton, the role of technology versus supply chain relationships in terms of making meaningful traceability a reality, why he sees traceability as the key to being able to tell his own story, and why he hopes that control over his story will lead to a fairer distribution of wealth across fashion supply chains. Overall, Cannon's insights speak to the complexity of cotton traceability and the importance of supply chain relationships to doing traceability meaningfully. Traceability requires coordinated efforts between growers, mills, brands, and beyond. Given current events around cotton sourcing, his insights are especially relevant and timely. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation for our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. I want to come back to traceability because I know that you have a lot of thoughts about how traceability could be used to sort of reclaim some of that control over that narrative. But before we do that, I want to clarify, ask you to clarify, because we've talked sort of around some of these certification schemes. And we've, could you explain a little bit about why, so you, um, you do BCI, Better Cotton Initiative Cotton, why you opted for that, as opposed to some of the other certifications that are out there, and um, why you remain sort of 
skeptical about these accreditation programs? Because I think a lot of people would hear you say, oh, well, consumers need to be informed. Consumers need to be able to make the choice. And then they would point to these accreditation tools or systems as the way for doing that. And I think that's important context to offer before we then get into your take on traceability. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with BCI, it really became a function of under, understanding that a lot of these, uh, a lot of large, powerful brands, retailers were driving this uh, this process of BCI, and then hearing from some you know retail partners that if uh, you know that they were mandating that a certain amount of what they sold would be had to be BCI cotton, and uh, ultimately, 100% of what they sold would be BCI within X number of years. So, to me, it was you know, if we don't become BCI, we're going to close, we're going to lose certain markets that we want to be able to sell to. So, it wasn't you know, the, I guess this sounds bad. It wasn't because I believe that BCI was the right thing. It was it was just I need that avenue. I don't want to close any door to you know potential sales of our cotton. So, if I can get a certification, and to be totally honest, I mean. BCI was started outside of the United States of, of who they were looking to certify. I got on their website and I read through, you know, the checklist of, of all their material that of what it took to be certified. And the bar here in California is, is so much higher, you know, like the idea that, you know, our workers could organize and talk to each other or about labor practices or that, you know, we didn't have slave labor, we didn't have child labor. So uh, it was, it was one of those things that, that I immediately reached out to the BCI folks and said, Hey, look, you know, if you're going to, if you're doing this kind of certification, you have to include, you know, the United States, you can't, you know, we have to have that opportunity. And so to their credit, they did, uh, they did get us uh, a program here in, uh, in California. And we were, uh, I think the first farm that was certified back in uh, 2014, uh, just from working with them, you know, early on, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like the premise, you know, I, as a as a person who's dealing with uh, with very high regulatory standards, I, I do want the rest of the world to have to have to step up. I, I want to see initiatives, you know, be successful in, in raising the bar, because ultimately raising the bar is going to raise the cost for these other people, uh, you know, and help mm -hmm. us be help us be more competitive. So, you know, if that's, if that's selfish, I mean, that's just the part of me that that's just the part of me that's, you know, a, 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 you know, I have to compete in a, in a world that's not fair at this point, but I guess I was disheartened to, uh, to attend the big BCI meeting, uh, early on, um, in, in San Francisco where a lot of the brand, uh, uh people who started, uh, the, the whole, uh, initiative were there. And, uh, one of the heads is sustainability for one of the large, uh, gene manufacturers, uh, you know, made this statement about saying that they didn't want the the initiative to cost the uh, consumer anything, and I just thought, man, that's that's not what I that's not what I want to hear uh, as somebody whose costs are are much higher and who's doing like everything the right way. You know, so I just to me that just kind of lost some of the. If that was a goal, um, I think again, it's just really a not the right message to tell the consumer that you know, doing all the right things and, and paying people fairly and giving them, you know, healthcare and all these things that that doesn't cost anything. I just don't think that's a good, a good overall message. And then I, I also have a problem with the mass balance side of, of, of BCI. And I know that's kind of how they had to get started. So a mass balance system here refers to a way of sourcing where that allows for certified and non-certified ingredients to be mixed during the shipping and manufacturing processes. 
and it's it's usually justified on the basis that it's it's a much easier way to scale sustainability because it's more affordable for companies than setting up totally separate and segregated supply chains. So for instance, you know, having one set supply chain and chain of custody for sustainable cotton and one for non-sustainable cotton, however that might be defined. But, you know, the idea that I grow this really great cotton that has, you know, all these great, uh, you know, story behind it and, you know, taking care of our workers and environment and all the things that we do, that that then goes into this pool of BCI credits and, you know, somebody else who didn't do any of those things, my, my bail credits can go to somebody who didn't produce that same, uh, you know, way that I did. Um, you know, I just... I don't like mm. that idea of divorcing, you know, the, the connection. Um, but again, it, 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 it's a certification. It was something that was easy for us to get, you know, the bar for us is, was, you know, to check off the boxes that we needed to check off what was, was not hard. Um, and, you know, and it's just like the organic certification, you know, there's people who want organic cotton. And so, you know, to me, we, we are organic certified because we grow a number of different organic crops. And so, you know, being or, you know, organic certified to do cotton was not a big deal either. But it's about market access, really, to, to me. But my my ultimate goal would be part of a certification that actually meant, you know, a lot more. Um, and, I, and I hope we could get there. And what do you mean by a lot more? Well, just that had a little more true connection, you know, that wasn't wasn't like a mass balance system that was more directly mm. connected where the consumer, you know, if they wanted to, could scan a barcode or a QR code on a, on a product and, you know, drive back down to it would it would connect them back to the person who planted the cotton seed, you know, on our farm. And he could tell a story about, you know, how he worked here because his dad worked here and how we treated him mm. and you know, who, what his name was and how much water we used. And I mean, I, I just think there's, you know, we've got this technology, we've got the, again, this ability to, to be much more connected. And I think, you know, a credible certification would be one that a consumer could just absolutely get full transparency all the way back to the farm. And then, you know, feel again, really strong and good about what their dollar was going to. Cause I think without that, absent that you're going to have a much harder time getting people to put their dollars down on something that they don't really uh, know what it exactly exactly means. So it's something about like if I repeat it back to you, tell me if I got it or not. But for you, traceability should be central to the sustainability agenda, and that's has to do in big part because it's about trust and it's about consumers being able to trust the information that they are getting. Is that right? Absolutely. And I'm going to get in trouble here because I have my views on, <laughs> uh, I'll be a little uh, controversial. You know, a lot of farmers don't want uh, third-party verification. So I think you're seeing efforts out of uh, the U.S., you know, cotton leads and uh, cotton trust protocol and some of these things that are are well-intentioned uh, efforts. Um, but, you know, I've been in the leadership in in the national leadership for cotton. And, and I hear over and over again, you know, we don't want people coming on our farms, you know, certifying us. And we want to just, you know, be able to say, you know, look, we have these laws, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, just trust that we're doing the right thing. You know, I think third party certification has to be part of uh, of any credible program, because, you know, if, if you're a brand and you're going to stake your name on a certification and if you're a consumer and you're going to pay the extra dollars, you can't just have it be that the farmer just says like, oh, you know, I did everything right. You know, just kind of trust me. 
I mean, even though we're trustworthy, good people, I, I just don't think that's enough credibility. So people don't like that I say that, but I just, I just, and I know when we started with BCI here in California, there were some other California growers that I'm not going to have some third party person come and talk to my, you know, employees. And I mean, I'm sitting there going, shoot, come talk to my employees. If, if there's something wrong and, and they're not telling me and they're going to tell you, I'd like to know. So, or whatever, you know, I'm just open to, we're used to being certified. We're used to being, having third parties. And I just think it's, it's an integrity issue to me that we have to have, but I know a lot of people don't want it. So you do believe the third party uh, certification or third party inspection is a, is a very useful tool also for cotton growers, for suppliers? I, I believe it is here uh, because we have a very different culture regarding certification and we also have a different approach. Uh, the problem, and we touched on a little bit earlier, is you know the corruption issue is is really is really real and uh the practice of of bribery and coercion and i mean those things really exist and and i think you know it, it's actually a cultural norm in a lot of places to uh you know i know uh some of the produce companies that have left california and have gone down south of the border to mexico they actually budget for you know certain amounts of payoffs to get you know it's a cost of doing business yeah. and so that's a real, that's a real issue. You know, it, it, it is because, you know, in California, like the idea that I would slip, uh, you know, cause we do food safety audits and we have all these people come in cause you know, we, we grow crops that, you know, a consumer could potentially get sick if we do something wrong. Um, so we have people come, you know, really give us, you know, a hard time to make sure that things are done, you know, perfectly. I mean, I can't even imagine that, you know, that I would give, you know, try to bribe somebody, you know, it's not even within our, it's not even within our mentality to even approach things like that, but that's not the same in other places. So I don't know that certification, unless it can be done in a really credible way, it's not, it's not bulletproof either. Jesse, I'm so dying to know what you think about this. Ken, and I'm not sure whether you know, but Jesse worked for a third-party inspection company in China. Oh, I hope but I didn't with, No, no, but she, you've been quite critical of, of your, of, of, of my experience. We did one episode where you, yeah, where you talked about it, but you've been quite critical of it. And for listeners out there who are interested in learning more about Jesse's time at a third-party inspection company in China, we highly recommend going back and checking out our very first episode. But I'm so curious, what like does what Canon said surprise you? Yes, surprised me, but it makes lots of sense because what Canon said is actually uh, a third-party certification system here protects the. Uh, Competition, let's say, protects the, um, because this is a very special competition we're talking about. Okay. I will make an example. In cut and sew facilities, what people compete, they actually compete who has a lower prices, who can make a similar quality by lower prices. So you have the cost as a, as a bar just getting lower and lower. So in this case, third party inspection. It's very easy to be abused as a tour to go against the suppliers to force them to either lower the price, either use a tour to, how to say, uh, issue discount or 
penalty to them because they cannot catch up the shipment and so on and so on. So it becomes a, like, oh, your quality is not good enough. So yeah. you haven't, your the third party inspection report says the quality yeah. isn't good enough. Therefore, yeah. you need to reduce your price. Like it's a, le- it's a, it's a bargaining chip. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so eventually it becomes a game. You have three parties playing inside and everyone has their own agenda. Of course, the third party inspection companies also have their own agenda. So you have the client, the, uh, the brands, the client, the brands, the suppliers and the third party inspection. Because that is a competition competing on lower prices, you know, always looking for lower prices to provide similar quality. However, in this, in Canon's case, a third party certification actually protects the competitors. For instance, protects Canon without a third party mm. competition, uh, certification. How can Canon compete with someone? Don't pay workers uh, for extra working mm-hmm. hours. That's, that's very unusual in agriculture. So without third party certification, how can someone like Canon protect their, how to say, market shares? Integrity almost. Yeah, they cannot. So it's, it's changed in different contexts. The same approach or system can work in a so different way. I know we've talked about it a lot already, but. I want to go back to how we got onto this whole topic, which is traceability. You've mentioned about this DNA tracking that you do, which is able to sort of verify, bulletproof verification that what you are, what you have in your hands is in fact extra long staple cotton. But something you said to us when we talked last time really struck me, and it it was it was that you were interested in this because you were also interested in sort of reclaiming your ability to tell a better story about cotton, to be able to tell your own story as opposed to relying on brands to tell your story. And sort of your desire to have direct communication with the end consumer. Can you tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, to me, again, that the the traceability piece, however you achieve it, I think is just so critical uh, because if you if you can have a program that that gives the consumer the confidence that the cotton that they're buying is coming from exactly the type of producer that they want to reward with their dollars, I think that's how, that's the only way the system can really change. Um, because I, you know, I do think there's a lot of uh, claims that are out there, and there's a lot of confusion, and and it's difficult for people to uh, to make a connection. I mean, you see. You see with like farmers markets and and with those types of things, when people buy food, you, you know, they really gravitate or, they, you know, not everybody, but more people are starting to gravitate towards, um, you know, where their food is coming from and they connect it with the farmer and kind of, you know, get, get, get back to that. I think the connection can be really important and valuable. It's maybe not valuable to every consumer, but I think, you know, especially with a high end uh, cotton product, I think you can have a consumer that maybe does want to understand that a little bit more. Um, so, you know, there's different traceability methods. I think, um, you know, the DNA is one, uh, there's, you know, fiber trace, there's ones, there, there's a number of different methods of, of, of uh, traceability. I think the programs uh, may or may not be needed at times um, just to, you know, even from the farm level, the way we harvest cotton, uh, the raw cotton that's picked is actually picked with a machine that has a GPS system installed. And then it has an RFID tag for every 5,000, mm. 5,000 pounds of cotton that comes from the farm. And RFID tag here is short for radio frequency identification. 
And they're basically a kind of tracking system that uses smart barcodes to identify an item. So we know where every 5,000 pounds of seed of raw cotton comes from. And then when we take it to the cotton gin, when they gin it, you know, the, the parent uh, block of cotton of 5,000 pounds that has its own number and RFID tag, it becomes then 14 or 15, 500 pound cotton bales. And each one of those 500 pound bales gets its own unique number and quality uh, sample. So even from the farm, you know, to the, to the 500 pound bale, we've got an incredibly tight system. Uh, the, the unique uh, bale number that uh, it gets when it's 500 pounds is actually given by the USDA. Um, and the quality is done by the USDA, which is, again, it's a third, third party uh, organization that's giving that information. So, uh, you know, I think we've, we've already got a lot of integrity. So if I was able to ship those, you know, bales with their unique numbers, um, to a, to a mill that also, you know, had a protocol for receiving the bales and keeping them segregated and tracking them, you know, they could easily say like, okay, this is Bulls Farming Company cotton and here's why, and this is the yarn that was produced from Bulls Farming Company cotton. So I think it's achievable without some of the tracers, but if, as you get into larger, uh, programs, you probably do need some kind of a, a, a tracer because uh, as you get, you know, more farmers involved, if it's not just a one direct grower, um, you know, it, it, it can, it does need some kind of trace tracer back to the, to the farm. Um, but again, you know, if you have, I think what we've had is like, you know, a lot of ability for, you know, the light hasn't really been able to be shined on the mill as much, you know, and I think as, as you, as you, if you were to work with, a farm partner, a mill partner, and a brand partner and that all saw each other and believed in each other and trusted each other, you know, and that's just not the way cotton is operated. Cotton is just operated as, you know, you kind of just send these bales out into the world and, you know, some mills may act with a lot of integrity, but a lot of mills may not. And, you know, brands or brands don't know how to sometimes get all the right information. They're just looking for fiber they're looking for uh, fabric specs or yarn specs. You know, they're not necessarily looking past that. So we just haven't had a situation. It's, it's all been based on like numbers, you know, like this quality, you know, the mill wants to buy, you know, this type of staple, this type of strength, this type of micronair, you know, whatever they're looking for. And then the brand's looking for, well, we just need this kind of yarn uh, thread count or whatever, whatever it is, you know, so it's, it's just been divorced from like looking back that extra step to say, you know, what, you know, we may get that yarn spec, but is that the actual, like, what did the cotton that goes into that, is that 100% Pima to make that yarn mm -hmm. spec? You know, so I just, anyway, so it's part of that larger conversation. But I think if there's more relationships built through the supply chain, I think then, then you can get to where, you know, you may need DNA or, or you may not. But, you know, I, I do feel like there's really good, at least out of the, out of the U.S., I think there's good credibility in terms of, you know, farms linked to exactly to the 500 pound lint bales is, is pretty strong. And I think your comments here are particularly poignant given, you know, recent news about cotton production in China and the moves of various governments to ban imports of cotton from China and sort of underscores the reality of, of how difficult actually doing that really is. Do you see traceability or this DNA testing as sort of a roundabout way of um, I don't know, starting those relationships? Because a lot of times I bet the, I mean, 
I don't know how, maybe I'm framing the question the wrong way, but like, is it sort of like, is traceability a tool to actually then for brands to know who is, where their cotton is coming from and then to sort of be able to pick up those relationships or to start those relationships? Yeah, I definitely think that's, I I definitely think it's true. I mean, in the case of the DNA uh, tracing, And here, Cannon is referring to an anecdote he shared in part one of this conversation, where essentially one of the brands that was selling products branded as being made with Pima cotton did DNA testing to see how much of their products, as well as how many of the other products on the market being sold as Pima cotton products, actually were made of 100% Pima cotton. And the result was fewer than 80%. Um, so what happened was uh, the brand that we worked with who was concerned about this and who ended up finding out that their sample was uh, was you know adulterated uh, you know they they, they mm-hmm. went to their they went to their fabric producer uh, and they said you know what the heck's going on and the fabric producer said well look well we're buying this thread from China uh, from this mill and you know we thought they were our good partner so what's ended up happening is that this mill company in India that was supplying the sheeting they ended up investing in their own mill. So now they just have completely bypassed. So they've made the tight supply chain. So actually at this point, like I would say to them, we almost don't need to do the DNA anymore because now they've fixed the supply chain in such a tight way that, you know, really the bail identification numbers. So they took the, they, I mean, it was a huge investment for them. But, you know, again, if you were dealing with a mill that you trusted, you know, you could, I, again, I, I think you could get away from having to do the DNA. The DNA helped identify the problem and, w- and it's a good way to then continue to say, yeah. to say like, look, the program has integrity. It's interesting because one of the, <laughs> I'm, I don't know, I, I don't know if the word, I'm a cynic at heart or just generally a skeptical person, but I am often skeptical of these, you know, s- sustainability programs that put like all their hopes and faith into technology. Because for me, at the end of the day, this is about distribution of risk and reward. And if we get that right, everything else sort of follows. But I think this is a really interesting example of how technology has been, has the traceability technology in this case, has the power to sort of maybe spark the consolidation of the supply chain and in that consolidation of the supply chain then also creates the space for maybe hopefully renegotiating that distribution of risk and reward and dealing with some of these sort of i don't know uglier truths which have to do with power and who has it and maybe consolidating you know traceability as a tool for consolidating the supply chain is one way that technology then and these sort of more political questions or i don't know if political is the right word but i i think you know what i mean can sort of come together yeah and i think you know right now the 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 reward you know Jesse made the point earlier about driving costs down i mean Right now, the reward for everybody has been like, oh, let's drive costs down. So, you know, the mill is cheating to drive costs down. Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the brands want to buy the product at the lowest price so they can have the biggest markup. Um, you know, I think the, 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 the key is, you know, if you can, if you can start saying like, that's not the goal, like the goal is to like have credibility and, and I think then translate that to consumer value. 
then the then that money then you're saying like let's let's go for the higher let's 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 raise let, let's not just go for the cheapest thing let's go for the truest thing and i think then that then that can distribute value mm-hmm. back all the way back to the to the farm and and the goal isn't like let's just drive cost to to zero and and you know and the farmer getting the worst end of that it's like let's find the value proposition throughout this connected supply chain and 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 give the customer something that they actually can believe in and feel good about and so then and raise the value instead of like it being like this race to the bottom that that I feel like it's always on that track yeah it's quite interesting as i think uh, this tour of traceability or traceability we're talking about has another benefit um it looks a bit small now, but I think it's uh, quite meaningful, which is it helps, uh, it helps raw material suppliers like cotton growers find its client, find its right client. For instance, cl- the brands who really care about cost, you know, always want to drive cost down and clients who care less about cost down, but care more about quality, care about what exactly we are making. This, these are two different clients. And I think, Kenan, for you, your client, the client that suits you would be the second one, you know. And But how can they know if they are so far away from the cotton growers? If they, if from brands to the cotton growers, sec, um, how to say that, blocked by several sections, like meals, like merchants, like so many sections, then it's very difficult for that type of uh, brand to find a suitable cotton growers and it's the same thing no, as way around. Yeah. and also it's the same no you're right it's the same for end consumers there 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 are some kind of consumers they do care and they care a lot what those raw materials come from how those clothes or shoes or bags made and it's it's also very difficult for them to find the right information so traceability actually can help people to find each other and there's but, a lot of power in that. Yes, eventually. No, it's it's essential. Yeah, it's essential to to bring the value back to the farm, and it's uh, you know essential to you know cleaning up the bad behavior. Uh, you know, I think once mills know that they can be caught, you know, I think people people start doing the right the right thing. I think it's right now. You know, the traceability also provides that ability to say, hey, look, this isn't a hundred percent. You know that mm. you, you you cheated me, and then you know you can't have. I think the relationships get a lot stronger if there's if there's initially traceability like that um, and integrity, and I think the consumer feels better. Um, you know, I think eventually, eventually, if you have a brand and the uh, textile, you know, the fabric and the mill, everybody and the farmer all kind of in sync, I think then it doesn't have to become as much about like we're trying to police each other. Then it becomes like really the storytelling aspect that can be just so, so positive. You know, a brand can say, look, I care so much about you, the consumer and what you're buying from me. And we care, you know, so much about that value that, you know, we actually go and visit the farmer and we go like sit down with him and we go walk in the field with him. And, and we, you know, we've done all this work, you know, cause people want to trust brands. And so if the brand, you know, I think, you know, some people want to see like it took six gallons of water, whatever that is. But most people just want to feel like the brand that they're talking to has done the work for them. You know, the, the mm-hmm. consumer doesn't want to sit there and, and, and like audit people and worry about like if they filled out their BCI. They want the brand to do the work and, and to trust the brand. And you see that all the time. You know, people have this loyalty to the brands that they trust. And so if a brand goes, look, hey, we went out and we scoured the earth for the best in class cotton grower and 
we have this great relationship with them and that, you know, they're an old family and we're an old family. And like, we do all this sustainability. They treat their workers. Well, we treat the workers, you know, we go to the mill together. Like we, we found the best mill in, in the world, you know, and then they can say, look, like, here's the suite of products that we made with this, you know, partnership. And, you know, and that's a totally like different story than is being told at all. And, and there's nothing like that. But then I think the consumer will, you know, they'll grab onto that more than they'll just be grabbing on to saying like, oh, you know, like this, you know, some want to say like the t-shirt save five gallons of water. I get that. But I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of it has to do with the integrity and the value of the story. And just the fact that the brand could, con the brand, if the brand confidently says, look, we've spent, you know, hours and hours working with this specific farmer and we know exactly what he does. And we, you know, they, I just feel like that's a great story to be able to tell. And that's where people will really find value. Uh, you said earlier, we all want our life easier. That's very true. I think we, I think uh, automatically uh, people want to trust the brand because that makes their life easier. They don't need to think a lot. They don't need to go out, search old information and make uh, make anal analysis and make the decision, make the diagnosis. So they want to trust, actually. They want. They want to deliver this work. Yeah. So if the brand can, that would be... Yeah, great story. Um, talking of speaking of stories, um, last question, um, and I have to ask, but there's cotton has a bad reputation uh, for many people, and so we've talked a lot now about how you know it would be nice if growers had the chance to reclaim the narrative over what they do. So I have to ask, what do you say to cotton detractors who point to water consumption or to the scale of its growth or, you know, to all of these different things that have given cotton a bad reputation? Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, I, I agree a lot. I mean, there's there's there in a lot of ways I agree. I mean, the, the environmental and ethical consequences around the production of cotton in the world, it's undeni it's undeniable. I mean, You've got the Uzbekistan examples mm -hmm. of, you know, forced labor. You've got China's now being exposed. You've got, you know, places like uh, Brazil and other, you know, that use, you know, just massive amounts of chemicals, even in, within the U.S. I mean, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of control in, in certain places and there's not a lot of oversight. And, uh, you know, you've got powerful lobbies within, uh, you know, the United States that are, you know, trying to, you know, keep regulations to a minimum. And, you know, it's all things that I understand because, you know, regulation does increase cost. And, and if we, if, if we can't find ways to, to, to have a better story or that the, you know, consumer doesn't want to pay for that, you know, it's, uh, the outlook for, for cotton is, is, you know, they're going to continue to have a lot of bad, uh, bad examples of how cotton can be grown. But, you know, I, I definitely, I definitely put up our numbers and I'm willing to be very transparent on what we do. Um, because I believe there is a good cotton story and I believe cotton is an amazing uh, natural fiber. And, and it is something that even if there are all these negative environmental and ethical concerns, I mean, it's, it's selling all over the world and we all have it in our, uh, you know, in our wardrobes and we have it on our beds and, you know, people love it. I mean, people are using cotton all the time. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's not without consequence and it's not without some really severe, uh, severe consequence, but it, there can be, there can be good examples. And, and I think, you know, 
the consumers are starting and the brands are starting to realize that, you know, hey, let's tell let's tell some better uh, textile uh, stories. You know, these uh, microfibers and things that have gotten to be so popular in synthetics, you know, those are getting into the mm. water systems and get you know, it, it, being found in all these negative externalities. I mean, I think having, you know, a natural product like cotton that, you know, then also at the end of life can go, you know, back into, uh, you know, we're working with a denim brand that wants us to take, uh, you know, old genes and compost them and put them back into the soil, you know, and, and return it to the, be a complete, uh, complete cycle. cycle, you know? So I think with, you know, natural fibers give you a much better option, but we have to clean up how they're produced and, and we have to have, you know, credible certifications. We have to have, you know, traceability and some standards. And, you know, I'm sorry for other places that their costs are going to need to go up, but their costs are going to need to go up because they're going to need to, we need to protect the environment. I mean, we're all, we are all in this together, you know, to, to a very real level in terms of climate change and all these other things. I mean, California by itself can't like change the the whole trajectory of the world's climate, but, you know, we're, we're at least on a path of, of trying to start and, you know, converting to renewable energy and forcing cleaner air standards. But, you know, the rest of the world has to step up and, and, and the consumer, you know, to the points we were making earlier, the consumer has a, a role in, in paying for some of this too. I mean, it's not enough to say, Hey, I support climate, you know, regulation, or, you know, I'm worried about climate change, but then, you know, go out and buy products that, you know, come from places that don't have any, uh, you know, have any of those standards. I just think we can get to a much better place with uh, with the whole story. And the reality is, is that if it was produced properly or responsibly, we would also produce less of it <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. sense that it would because it would cost more. Yeah. And, and yeah. actually, it's maybe not the problem of the crop. The issue here is uh, how people grow the crop. It's people. It's the methods, yeah. the approach. It's not a, yeah. The, there are lots of better stories about cotton, but maybe the problem is not about cotton. This crop is about how people grow cotton and how people do about it later. So it's it's about people yeah. and the well. That's and I just that's such a great point because I do want to say like we talked a little bit earlier about generalization and how you know we don't label like people we don't like that's not anything like that's you know we don't want to generalize about anything really but. You know, there is this idea that like conventional, conventional production is, is just a certain way and it's bad, you know, and like mm -hmm. organic maybe is good. Um, you know, the conventional uh, that we do here in California, we actually pay a, a, a single person like a very high salary to tell us to not spray. I mean, we, we do everything possible to not spray our cotton fields. And I don't think people understand that we use this integrated pest management technique where we're surveying every single day, we're sweeping our cotton fields to say, here's the beneficial insects that are helping us fight problems. And here are the, you know, predatory insects. And so we only step in, we have like a very specific decision-making tree that we say, okay, so now the, this population of negative bugs is getting too strong and, and the good bugs can't fight it. So we need to step in. And then we say, okay, we have these tools that we can use, which is the least disruptive to the beneficial bugs. And then we might, we might use that tool. And then if that doesn't work, we would go to the next step, but it's very, very systematic. And that's not what happens in the rest of the world. I mean, that's not the, so conventional in other places, 
you know, you see a bug, you spray, or maybe you even spray just because it's the time of, you know, a certain time of year, or maybe you just do it every couple of, I mean, I know there's places that every couple of weeks they just go spray, you know, because it's cheap and they've got, you know, no standards for their labor. And it's just, you know, go spray the chemical um, because they don't want to take any, any chance, but, you know, everything for us is about how, how are we, how are we as close to almost organic production as we can be? And, you know, every input costs us money. We don't want to spray unless we absolutely have to spray. And we also mm -hmm. don't want to disrupt our natural system here because disrupting the natural system then creates these other problems. So if you wipe out all the good bugs and all the bad bugs, a lot of times, you know, the bad bugs or some other bad bug then can come in and there's no beneficial bugs to stop it. So, I mean, it's just even the consumer to understand that, like not all conventional agricultural is the same, um, you know, so there's there's a lot of difference, Jesse, to your point about how how the actual fiber is produced. And, and you know, there's just big differences from one one area and, and even from one grower to another. Like there's there's some of some growers I know that don't feel like I do and, and don't do even though they're in California. I mean, they're still required to do a lot of things by law, but, um, you know, they may have a different philosophy. So getting down to the grower that connects with the consumer is, you know, is a possibility that I think is really interesting. I, I see I see so much. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm so optimistic about about the future of, of cotton. Um, you know, it's been really difficult these last five uh, years really, the price has been sliding down, and uh, you know it's been it's been tough as a, as a grower because it's a it's a crop that we love to grow, and it's just hard when it's uh, when it becomes you know very uh, the margins are are pretty tight, and it's uh, it's 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 challenging. But um, you know, again, I think uh, I just have faith that the world wants to wants to know um, that even you know the fabric and and those things that they're that they're buying are you know are coming from good people who are doing the right thing. I think there's, I think there's a lot of value there um, that we just haven't fully exposed the consumer to that. I think they're, I think they're ready for. And I think, um, you know, I'm feeling like we're right on the, right on the edge of, of some really great changes in, in the industry and um, just going to take a lot of leadership and some courage. And, and I think we can get there. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm -hmm.